It's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talking Ag Lane Nordland, for today's LaneCast. Hello and welcome to the LaneCast. It's time for part two of my conversation with Montana rancher Jim Felton. Now, if you did not hear part one of the conversation Jim and I had, I would encourage you to go back to the previous episode because we focused on how social media, digital media, and the internet have changed how the Felton Angus operation reaches out to consumers and shows them what they do out on their ranch and also how social media and technology has changed how they market their purebred Black Angus bulls and Hereford bulls. It's a great conversation, and I would encourage you to listen to part one if you have not done so. But it is time for part two of our conversation with rancher Jim Felton. The topic at hand is an issue that many ranchers in Montana face, ranching in Montana's brucellosis designated surveillance area. But before we jump into that conversation, just a quick reminder, the Montana Stock Growers Association will be holding their mid-year meeting coming up June 14th and 15th, going to be held in Dillon, Montana. I will be there and I look forward to seeing many of you in Dillon, Montana for the Stock Growers mid-year meeting. To get registered and for more details, just visit mtbeef.org. Stay with us. We'll talk brucellosis and ranching in Montana right after this. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on the Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and other podcast apps. Now, back to the show. As promised, here is part two of my conversation with Montana rancher Jim Felton, asking him what is one of the biggest challenges he faces as a rancher in the Big Sky State. Well, uh, I think there's various things that could be a little troubling to people. You know, I guess, I mean, I think that's different in every part of the West. I think in Montana, one of the main things is really brucellosis and bison. We're pretty close to the park here, and we've got to test, we test a lot of cattle. Thankfully, we've never had anything come back hot with uh, brucellosis, but it seems like we're giving it, giving more and more ground to the Yellowstone bison, and the state of Montana, or the folks in charge, seem to, from the governor on down, seems to not really have an issue with letting bison roam out of the park. And it seems like we just keep giving them more and more ground to migrate down. And once they get in the Paradise Valley, which is not, I mean, they're trying to block them there at the Yellow, at Yankee Jim Canyon. But if they ever get past that, I, I, my, my gut's telling me that they're probably not going to push them back. I, I think that once they get, like, towards immigrant stuff one of these years... It, it could just be like, well, we're not going to touch them now. And uh, so I think that's a major issue that maybe we don't hit on enough. I mean, the bison deal is getting a lot of play up in Malta and, and that country with the Prairie Foundation. But, uh, yeah, I think that's one of the issues. And, Jim, I'm going to cut you off there. I think I think we just we, we just got another hour's worth of conversation to talk about here, but we'll 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 uh, we'll pack her in uh, uh, pretty tight here. I, I was just watching uh, the, the news here not too long ago and actually the superintendent of Yellowstone National Park was highlighted on a, a news segment and talking about how uh, bison have never 
uh, transmitted uh, brucellosis to cattle in the designated surveillance area, and uh, he was uh, putting the main problem on elk, which we know that elk do have brucellosis, but also there's just an overpopulation issue between elk and bison and where they feed and where they calve. And brucellosis actually causes animals like cattle, bison, and elk to abort their calves. And in nature, elk usually don't calve right around each other. They like to go off on their own, but in places like Yellowstone or the surrounding regions, there's just so many elk and bison in one area. So the brucellosis stays around the animals and it doesn't go away and it infects other animals as well. We all know Yellowstone is overgrazed. It's not managed uh, for rangeland health. And I need to do a better job and back up just a little bit for our listeners and explain what the designated surveillance area is. This is a containment area where brucellosis is found in the wild. So it's in southwest Montana. It includes Beaverhead, Gallatin, Madison, and Park counties. And all sexually intact female cattle and domestic bison that are four months of age or older have to be tested. All cattle and domestic bison must be tested for brucellosis within 30 days prior to change of ownership or movement out of that designated surveillance area. So they have to bleed the cattle and send the samples into the state lab. So there's a lot of protocol and regulations in place to help protect the livestock industry and consumers from the spread of brucellosis. Jim, as a rancher in the DSA, do you feel good about it? Do you feel that the brucellosis positive wildlife is moving closer to your ranch? My gut is telling me that this DSA zone that I am in, I'm the last ranch in the DSA that uh, I think that deal is going to get expanded down into Sweetgrass and maybe Stillwater County. There's some brucellosis stuff down in Wyoming there across the, you know, in Carbon County there uh, had some issues there, it sounds like. And so it could go all the way down into Carbon and, and possibly West even. The elk are, the, I believe, the, one, the they're the ones spreading it. But they got it from somewhere, you know. The park is horribly overgrazed. We all know that. I mean, but... You go up there, you know, and, I, and we t- I take, me and the wife take the kids up there once or twice a year, and usually in the spring and the fall to avoid the rush and, and all the tourists, but uh, they like to see the hot pots and everything. And that, that, that country is so overgrazed. If that was a ranch, you would be considered a you know, poor manager, uh, an overgrazer. That's what Yellowstone is. So, I mean, you can't really blame them animals for wanting to get out when there's no food, but they're getting pushed, lack of food, wolves. I think the wolves has played a big part in spreading these elk with brucellosis as well. I mean, they get smart to them things, so they're always out trying to find new areas so they don't have to deal with wolves. And so these elk are all the way to Big Timber. I mean, there's elk down by the airport in Big Timber now. I mean, they're going all the way out there, and they're they're originating from the park. I mean, they're they're getting congregated, and they're bigger herds. And, uh, you know, I just see that this whole DSA thing is going to get expanded to the east anyways. It just really increases the operations workload having to uh, bleed that many cattle that often. And let's talk about bleeding those cattle, the cost that comes with it, and the process for our listeners that maybe ranch in Montana and really aren't familiar with what the designated surveillance area is and the cost that you have to pay or the state has to pay to test cattle. The DSA is kind of a sore subject with me, and I, I'm not against trying to keep brucellosis in check. 
you know, it's probably more so that I'm the last guy in the DSA, and my neighbors to the east don't have to do any of this stuff, and every time we move a cow around or, you know, the bulls are here, so every year every bull gets bled, and if we don't get them delivered in time, sometimes the states we go into will make us re-bleed them bulls again to keep it within 30 days current for the health papers. Um, but where we're doing the bulls and they're leaving the, you know, 90% of them are leaving the DSA, every year when we're semen checking for the sale, the vet just pulls a sample of blood and sends it to the lab in Bozeman. So it doesn't really create that big a workload for us because they're in the chute. And we try to, you know, I'm going to ship some yearling heifers out here to graft next week as we do our pull our cedars out for our AI project, you know, the vet will be here and he's just going to draw blood. I try to work around running them through the chutes with bleeding. So if you don't do that, then you're running them through the chute just to bleed them, you know. And if, well, anytime you do anything with cattle, it costs you money. I mean, you just, you know, labor and time. And, and uh, I just, I, I don't see how that thing's not going to get bigger. It's the elk spreading it around, the, you know, from, you know, like we talked earlier there. So you could put the blame on, poor management up there and uh, poor management on the government side. Now, Jim, some would say that bison paid the ultimate sacrifice when this land was settled and that ranchers took away their habitat at the end of the day and that ranchers should just be patient and let free-roaming bison go about the landscape. Uh, What's your rebuttal to that statement? Well, my rebuttal to that would be... uh, you know, we're pretty lenient with, we feed a ton of deer, a ton of elk, a ton of antelope. Everybody does it, you know, one way or the other. But bison, nobody wants to see the bison go extinct or, you know, there's a healthy population in the Yellowstone ecosystem up there. But a bison is a whole different breed of uh, animal, a dangerous animal, animal that doesn't jump fences like an elk does. So the idea of just letting these animals run around and root up your fence and get around your house and uh, I mean they've had some issues with that around Gardner you know tearing people you know get in the backyard tearing them up uh, charging people and you got to look at it as a you know a human safety issue a lot of it and instead of like oh you know we just should just turn these things loose so like I said I don't I mean I don't want to see the bison extinct I got friends that and I'm I do it as well I'll actually apply for the bite you know the bison tag up there um, you know it, it has a has a spot if managed correctly and uh, you know I don't want them to go away but you know we got to look at this as a property damage issue a human safety issue and when Lewis and Clark came there was nobody here and granted they were dang near driven to extinction extinction from overhunting back then but you know when you've got all these towns all these people you know i think i think you gotta look at it as a you know a, a safety issue and just the idea of these animals running around wild by the hundreds and you know it, it, it's just not going to work now i uh took a few classes from dr clayton marlowe at montana state university he's in the animal range sciences department at montana yeah. state's college of ag and uh, and since you had classes with him too, his his famous saying is bison are just big ugly cows, and there's always the argument from bison advocate groups that uh, 
that bison are not as hard on the terrain, that they're uh, better, that, that they won't impact uh, riparian areas. And <laughs> you know it and I know it. Uh, bison need to be managed just like cattle and uh, i think dr marlow hit that right on the head and and i've talked to many bison ranchers out there and and, and for those bison ranchers out there that manage bison just like cattle they're, they're doing a great job and they know that uh, you have to you have to work them a little different uh, not like cattle they are you know way more sensitive to uh to horses and you just have to let them move into different pastures but you have to manage them you have to manage your range resources because if you just let them graze you get exactly what yellowstone looks like you have a lot of damage to that rangeland that could take years to recover if you don't manage them right and we've all been to yellowstone the bulls have their wallows they tear it up they're down in the riparian areas getting muddy they're going to park on them cricks and just you know overgraze it like you know any other ruminant animal would do if you let them so yeah you need to you know you need to manage them the idea of just running out here and uh, in my mind is crazy when you deal with the environmental groups you know this lane as well as I do if it's a buffalo or something that is natural or native or what have you cutthroat trout's another prime example they can't do nothing wrong I mean you no matter how destructive a buffalo is to the ground or a bison, it's fine because they're you know they were they're native. But when they do more, they can they'll do more destruction than cattle will. But they'll never admit to that, and doesn't matter. You could take them out and show them and say, hey, look at all this. I mean, this riparian area is smoked. It's done. And well, what did this cattle know buffalo? Oh, wow. Oh. You know that's okay. It's tough to see where they're coming at on some of these issues. It just it kind of mind mind boggling at times. So it's uh, I I'll just leave it at that. Well, Jim, I know uh, we could continue to talk about yeah. this, and and I think we should. I think down the road we we need to talk about some issues at hand, and maybe I'll just come out to the ranch and we can sit down and have some coffee or maybe another beverage while we uh, do the lane cast. I want to thank you for for joining me here today and talking about ranching there on the Yellowstone and some of the issues that come with it. But also, I just want to thank you and your wife, Susie, for what you do utilizing social media and other tools to help educate other ranchers and consumers about what you do out on the ranch. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us here on the Lancast? We have to do a better job of, like I said, telling our story and trying to connect with the consumer about how things really work in this country. I hope that what we do here helps with that. As we're seeing like your podcast and other people's blogs and things, I think uh, we've come a long ways in that department the last five years. I think so too. And uh, again, I would just encourage our listeners here today to check the Felton Angus Ranch out on Facebook. Just search Felton Angus Ranch. Also, they are on Instagram and your wife is also on Instagram. Mrs. Montana Rancher, if I, if I recall that right, on Instagram. And you can also visit their website online as well. Well, Jim Felton, thank you so much for taking a few minutes with us here today to talk about your operation and some issues that you face there on your ranch. Again, Jim Felton was our guest today. Jim, thanks for joining us. You bet, Lane. Thanks for having me.
Again, thank you to Rancher Jim Felton for joining us for today's LaneCast. I would encourage everyone to subscribe to the podcast on your Apple device, Google Play, on Stitcher, or on the SoundCloud applications. Just search for the LaneCast. That will do it for today. I'm Lane Nordlund, your voice for agriculture. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.